Have you ever considered what your purpose in life is? Have you ever given very serious consideration to this thought? Have you ever pondered the enormity of your purpose? How valuable your purpose is? And have you ever really thought about it is God who is the one that gives you purpose in life? Have you ever thought about what happens after death? Is there really a place of peace? Is there really a place of eternal torment? Many of us have considered these things, but have we ever thought about what happens to our loved ones when they leave this earth? We've thought about these things for ourselves, but have we ever thought about these things and how they affect others and the decisions that they make and what impact we could have by sharing our faith and our love with those around us? We recently started a Bible study class in the book of Romans. And one day I was handing out the study guide for the next study preparation, which was titled The Bad News. After a few comments over this title, I started to thinking about the gravity of the bad news. It dawned on me in a fresh way how important it is that we understand the bad news. For if we don't understand the bad news, how can we ever really grasp how good the good news really is. I've heard the phrase, and I've used this phrase many times myself, receive eternal life, or come and accept the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart. Come, be baptized, and be saved. Be saved from what? Receive eternal life in exchange for what? Come and accept the Lord Jesus. But why? These are all questions that really have to be answered before we can ask somebody to receive Christ, don't, isn't it? These are questions that have to be answered. Someone has to understand the condition they're in before they're really going to grasp how great this good news is. Though it is grand and it brings about joy and rejoicing and celebration, freedom, and the list goes on and on why the good news is so grand. But in really, in order to understand the glorious message of redemption, we must first understand. We must first understand that we truly need someone to intervene on our behalf and give us this free gift called salvation. If someone doesn't intervene on our behalf, we will never gain salvation because there's nothing we can do to gain salvation. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. We can't try really hard. We can't do things to make our life better because in the end, we have sinned. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And there is no redemption for us outside of somebody laying down their life for us, giving their best for us. And we need to understand this and the depravity that is involved with sin and how each one of us have a depraved mind, 
outside of Christ before we can understand the importance of the cross and the importance of the message of salvation. In other words, we need to understand that we are condemned to eternal damnation, eternal torment, eternal weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal separation from the goodness and greatness of God if we do not have someone who is willing to save us. We must understand the depths of our depravity and the hopelessness that brings that, that brings without Jesus Christ laying down his life at the cross, a willing sacrifice to redeem us from our sins. Each of us has heard that we should focus on the positive things, focus on the message of eternal life. Don't talk about sin. Don't talk about the prospects of hell. Nobody wants to hear that. Why are you talking about something that nobody wants to hear? Nobody wants to bring it up. Stay focused on the good things about salvation and the good things about Christianity, the good things about eternal life. But how can we talk about the good things of eternal life if we don't talk about the bad things and why we need eternal life and, and, the, and the desperate state each one of us are in without the cross and without Christ? See, they say, don't talk about the prospects of hell. After all, if you talk about sin, Others are going to think that you are bringing judgment upon them. If you talk about hell, you are going to be a killjoy. Let's not focus on the negative things. Let us keep our message upbeat. But brothers and sisters, we can't do that. We have to share the truth. We have to share why it is important that someone comes to the cross. Otherwise, what's the value in going to the cross? Live life the way you want to live it. But we must understand that if we continue to live life the way we want to live it, and we don't consider God, and we don't consider the cross, we're heading for a life of eternal damnation after we leave this world. They tell us to keep our message upbeat. But my question is, how can we effectively present the gospel message of salvation through Jesus Christ if we ignore the reason we need salvation? How can we ignore the message of the depravity of every man? How can we ignore the message of eternal separation from God and eternal, eternal torment? How can someone receive salvation if they do not realize what they are being saved from? If we genuinely understand how lost we are and how doomed to eternal torment we are, we can really begin to grasp the glory of salvation, the wonders of salvation, the excitement of salvation. We can understand the joy we will experience when we're in heaven. We can understand the immense gratitude and thankfulness that we will and do experience as believers in Jesus Christ. Let us take a moment and turn to Romans chapter 1. Remember, it is because of sin that we will all die. We all know the reason we die is because of sin. And all we got to do is read Genesis chapter 3 to see what happened in the fall of man to understand 
that now we all fall short of the glory of God because of the sin of one man, all of us were born into sin. In the same way, because of the righteousness of one man, we all have the opportunity to come to him for salvation. See, we are all born into sin, and we all must remember that we are going to live again, and we will leave this world. We will either spend eternity in the presence of our holy and righteous God, or we will live eternally separated from him in eternal torment and suffering. And brothers and sisters, this begins immediately after death. There's no waiting time. There's no holding pattern. There's no special place that you go until someone prays enough for you that you get saved into heaven. It's because of the choices that we make here right now and living right now that determine whether we have eternal life or not. When we die, we're going to be in one of two places. We're either going to be in eternal bliss in heaven with God, or we're going to be separated from Him for eternity in hell. There is no middle ground. And for those who don't believe that, the day that they die, they will believe that. Because that's what the Scriptures teach. God places an, an understanding of that in each one of us. Each one of us will not have an excuse when we stand before God. None of us will have an excuse. See, there is not any in between. There is no holding pattern. There is no holding place. We will immediately be in God's presence or we will be separated from Him for all eternity in eternal torment. Those are the two choices that we have as human beings. And it is the most important choice we can make in our lives. So when we think that we're protecting our brother and sister, or our mom and dad, or our aunt and uncle, or our friends by not talking about the consequence for our sin, we're not truly showing them love when we ignore this subject. Whenever God gives us the opportunity, we need to speak the truth of salvation, but we also need to speak the truth of our condition as human beings. And I'd like us to go to uh, Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18, and we're going to take a look at what the condition of our hearts is, are. If we are honest, we will see where we once in one of once we're in one of these categories, each one of us will see ourselves in one of these categories. And we may even see one who is battling sin in one of these areas right now, even as a Christian. But God is working out our salvation. He's working through us every day. We must strive to live for God and to serve Him. Verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the goodness, godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. See, the wicked are suppressing the truth. They're not trying to reveal the truth. They're trying to suppress it, to keep it down, to make it not known. They want to suppress the wicked. And since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, See, the scriptures right here is telling us God is making the truth plain to each one of us. Each one of us have an understanding, a basic understanding of good and bad. Each one of us do. God has placed that in us. And for since the creation of the world, 
God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Right here, all by itself, we see in verse 20 that we have no excuse for not finding God, not discovering God, and not serving God, and trusting in Him, and depending on Him, because He has made it plain to each one of us. But some of us choose to suppress the truth, to hide it from others, and to hide it from ourselves. We deceive ourselves. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Their foolish hearts were darkened. See, if we ignore God long enough, God's going to let us spend our time in darkness. If we do not want anything to do with Him, He's going to allow us to live a foolish life. He's not going to force us to serve Him. It's got to be our choice. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, birds, and animals, and reptiles. Why do we want to serve the things of this earth? Why do we want to focus on what's going on in this planet today? Why not focus on what God has going on in this world? What God is working out through each one of us? and His eternal plan for each one of us. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. He gave them over, meaning, okay, if that's what you want, I'm going to let you have what you want. If this is the thing that you want, I'm going to let you have it. God's given each one of us what we want. If we want to live in sexual immorality, He's going to allow it for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the created things rather than the Creator. And brothers, make no mistake, we still today worship the created thing. There are many people who say that my life would be over if I lost my home, if it burnt to the ground, or uh, would be devastated if their car was all smashed up and it was destroyed, or any other maybe possession that you might have that is valuable to you. Maybe it's an heirloom that your grandmother gave you or whatever it might be. These things are created things not meant for us to worship. They're tools for us to use while we're here to glorify and honor God. Because of this, in verse 26, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural. And in the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Brothers and sisters, God has made marriage for one man and he's made marriage for one woman. It's not for man and man and woman and woman. It's for one man and one woman. God created us to be together as man and wife. He didn't create us to go and to pervert the things that He made holy. And there are people out there to say, you know what, you're being judgmental. Come to the 21st century. 
But you know what? You can come to the 21st century all you want to. The scripture is the scripture. The word of God is the word of God. God never changes. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. His rules and his policies and the things that he's laid out in this world will not change. The things that he has established as truth is always going to be truth. It will never be a lie. We're not to hate a brother or a sister, a friend, an aunt or an uncle, because they, they uh, have lust for one for another. We are to love them. But at the same time, when it comes right down to it, the sin must be exposed because if the sin's not exposed, they don't see the need for a Savior. In verse 28, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to what do what not, not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. And you remember Jesus, what he said about murder? That if you hate your brother... You as have murdered your brother? Jesus put things in context. He's putting it into context. How many of us have hated somebody and have had to go to God and repent because we've hated somebody? They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do not do such things deserve death, they only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who are practicing them. We can never approve of sinful actions. We must always stand up against sinful actions. And we always must expose the lie that the world tries to paint as a good thing. Because the things that are wrong and we try to make them right, that's a perversion of the truth. And we have to expose that when we're sharing the gospel of Christ with somebody because they need to understand how desperately wicked we are without Christ. The mind and the heart and the things that they think. We all know. We all have minds. We all know of times where we've had to go and repent because of our thoughts. And we all know that it only takes one sin to send us to hell. And there's no way for us to pay for that sin. And see, there's a hopelessness there when we understand that. But then, it's when we bring the hope of Christ to someone. You know, after reading this section of scriptures from Romans 1, 18 to 32, we might be, begin to think that there is no hope. I am definitely in trouble. Because you see, there isn't anything you or I can do to earn our way into God's good grace. There isn't any amount of tithing you can do to be given for your sinfulness. To make things even worse, you must be perfect for every moment of every day from your birth to your death. Otherwise, you are eternally condemned without someone to intervene and save you. The entire reason 
I share all of this with you is to give you understanding that there isn't anything that you can do or any amount you can pay to gain redemption for your sins. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9 teaches us this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But I like what Jesus said in John 3.16. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes shall not perish, but have everlasting life. See, Jesus is sharing the gospel message right here. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. He sent him here so he could save the world through him. It is hard to hear the message that we are doomed. It is hard to hear that there is not anything I can do to help myself. It is within each one of us to want to do stuff to help ourselves, to lift ourselves up, to make us look good. Each one of us want to look good to the next person, don't we? We do. We strive for that. We look for ways to stand out amongst the crowd. But that doesn't cut it with God. There's nothing we can do to look good before Him except come to the cross of Jesus Christ. For He paid a sin debt that we can never pay. He sacrificed himself at the cross that we might have life eternal. It is by his grace that we are saved. But we must realize that we must make a choice. God is not going to force himself upon any of us. We get to choose whether we believe him or whether we don't believe him, whether we want to serve him or not serve him. He gives us the choice to either accept this free gift or to refuse it. Let us take a moment now and go to Luke chapter 16. And I would like to talk about how this choice will affect you eternally. And remember earlier that we will live again after we die. We discussed this earlier. We will all live again. Those who think that they will be nothing when they die are only fooling themselves. Those who think there is a holding place or a purgatory when we die are only fooling themselves. We are all going to have spiritual bodies that will survive all eternity. Remember, there are only two places we shall spend our eternity. It is either the place of joy or the place of torment. There's no better place to fully grasp this picture than looking at the book of Luke in chapter 16, starting in verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and living in luxury every day. At his gate was a later beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came to lick his sores. And the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. This is heaven, Abraham's side. 
Abraham's bosom, another word. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Here's the picture of eternity. Jesus gave us a glimpse into eternal life or eternal damnation here. When we die, there is nothing talking here about a purgatory or a resting place until the day of judgment. We immediately are either with God or we are immediately separated from God. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Now, I don't know if hell has a literal fire. I don't know that. I don't know if this is uh, hyperbole that's being used to explain the agonies and the torture and torment that we're going to experience in hell, or if it's a literal fire. But either way, I don't know anything in this earth that I would not want to experience more than fire and maybe drowning. Those are two things that I think that all of us would fear and have intense fear about. And I think that's why Jesus shared this story using the intensity of fire to let us know how awful hell is really going to be. Why would he want us to know that? Why would he focus on something negative like hell? He's telling us that so he, we understand that there is a serious consequence for not making the right choices in our life. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over to us. So there's this picture of eternal bliss and one who is being comforted and another one who is in torment. And each of us are going to be either in eternal torment or we're going to be in eternal bliss with God. And to know that the choice is ours, I don't think that there's any decision in our life that's more serious than the decision of where we're going to spend eternity and our decision of whether we want to serve God or not to serve God. There is nothing weightier in our life than this decision right here. And yet we go on just ignoring it and walking around and not paying any attention. And it's sad that people aren't paying attention to their eternal life and what gravity, weighty decision this is. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, and let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Listen to them. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone goes from the dead to go to them, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone raises from the dead. This message 
is teaching us a couple of things. That there is no way that someone in heaven or hell can come back and warn us about the dangers of not coming to Christ. God has given us plenty of evidence. He has placed a morality in each one of us that understands the difference between right and wrong. He has also given us the whole world and the universe around us to uh, explain His glory and the wonders and the power of Him and who He is. How can you look out at this world and look out into the heavens and not see the glory of God at work, at the work of His hand? How can we not see that? He has given us these things so we can find Him, so we will see Him. So none of us will be without excuse when we stand before God. You see, it is important to understand the consequences for our sins. It is important to understand that we do have a choice. We can choose to live eternally in peace, and in a place of joy, where we can choose to have our own way this side of heaven and ignore the free gift of salvation offered to each one of us and spend our eternity in agony and torment separated from the goodness of God. And that choice is ours. We can live the way we want to for 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years and spend eternity in eternal torment or we can do it God's way and live eternity with Him in eternal bliss and joy. Do you believe? If so, demonstrate your belief and step out in faith, trust God, and follow Him and walk in His ways. He will sanctify you. He will cleanse you from your sins. And just as Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 tells us, for it is by grace, God's unmerited favor, it's not a favor that we get any other way, but by a free gift to God from God offered to us. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. There's nothing you can do to earn it. It's not anything you can do. It's not of yourselves. It is not by works, so that none of us can brag. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And God has prepared those good works well before we were even on this earth for us to do. He has created them for us in advance that we might complete them. See, God has a journey for each one of us. If we are willing to step out in faith and trust Him, He will put us to work and He will guide us and guide our steps. You see, our salvation is not of works and no one can brag about the salvation that they have. We only do good works because we have salvation. For we are His workmanship. And our purpose in life is to serve the living God. He is our King, and He gave His life so we could live in heaven full of joy. And remember, we are on a journey, a journey laid out by God Himself. So let us go and do the work He has called us to complete and step out in faith Trust Him and follow His righteous ways. Let us pray. Holy Father, we come before You again today, Lord. And Father, we thank You that You have taught us, Lord, and that You have showed us 
the, the consequences of our sins, Lord, and, and Father, that you have shown us that we need to understand the bad news in order to really fully uh, uh, grasp and excitement and joy the good news and how great that good news is, Lord. And Father, we're thankful that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to the cross and that he laid his life down willingly that we could have eternal life. And Father, we thank you that you have provided this way for us to come to you. And it's not by anything that we can do, but only by the work that you done through Jesus Christ that we have eternal life. And Father, we thank you, we worship you, and we glorify your holy name. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.